Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Brian Grin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brad. Long time listener, first time guest. Here he is coming to you from you're on vacation there in Florida. Yes. And I'm where are you based uh, normally? Oh, normally Chicago. All right. And you've yeah. done some good stuff there. And I thought it'd be fun. You just introduce yourself to the audience and talk about uh, the things you have going. And you know, we're going to get in and focus on that wonderful topic of fasting. Uh, but let's start with a little bit of an intro. Yeah, so my name's Brian Grin, and based out of Chicago. Uh, yeah, I'm a health coach into nutrition. Um, also, do I have training clients, and uh, I've come out with a few books. Uh, one of them was a kids' book, but we're not going to talk too much on that one. But uh, the other one was a, a fasting journal, intermittent fasting journal. And uh, yeah, my website's BrianGrin.com. I have a, I have a challenge that's that's uh, being launched, uh, 21-day intermittent fasting challenge.com. So I'm excited about that. But um, yeah, fastings just have a, had a profound impact on my life. Uh, I'd also, you know, a lot of my clients, actually, I was introduced to fasting from a client of mine who was like pre-diabetic and her health was going the wrong way. And uh, it just sort of, it, you know, it changed her life and sort of got me thinking about it as well. And uh, that was a few years ago. And since then, I've just sort of just continued with that niche and just trying to grow it and just spread the word. Uh, I, I can see a, a punchline for the fasting journal because you're you're putting all these blank pages in when you're fasting. <laughs> I know the the journal's more about that. So describe how that tool is used when you're getting people to uh, to take this on. Well, yeah, and like I decided to do the journal because I'm 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 pretty old school in the sense that I like to like write things down. And I know there there's apps, there's fasting apps, and and this and that. But I just wanted something that you can sort of take with you everywhere uh, and actually write in it. Um, and so, yeah, the, the journal in a, in a sense is just like an accountability partner, really just to hold you accountable, to get you going, to ease you into fasting, uh, answer your questions. Um, like what do I eat during the fasting window? Um, like why am I doing this? <laughs> and just sort of just to hold you accountable, how many hours of sleep you've gotten, uh, what are you doing as far as hydration? So, I mean, obviously fasting can be pretty black and white, but there's also some, some other aspects that, that make it easier and, and make, um, the fasting process just not as fearful. And, uh, so anyways, that's what the journal is there for. Uh, when you talk about being a health coach as well as a trainer, it seems like a, uh, a great, you know, progressive position to be in. And I'm wondering how those two uh, blend together when you're working with a client, for example, on the, on the, on the gym floor, they're going to go through their workout, but how do you inject that other element to make sure that your, your impact is maximized? Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> I think a lot of it is brought on by the client because, um, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people just want like a flat stomach. They want, you know, they like a lot of my clients are men. And obviously as, you, as they get older, perhaps they start to get a gut or some visceral fat and 
they want a way to get rid of that. And so I, you know, lifting weights is great and I'm a big proponent of it, but, um, diet, I would say is like 75% of the puzzle. Um, and so a lot of times it just comes up naturally. So I wanted ways. So I wanted to get education and, and help and give my clients the best way possible to help perhaps bring their body back to what it was five, 10, 15 years ago, because that was pretty much sort of what happened with me. I mean, I'm almost 40 now. And like, I've always been a fairly clean eater and worked out and thought I did the right things, but just wasn't getting the same results. So that's what, and then when I started doing intermittent fasting and sort of combining it with my lifestyle, that was like, it just like, it clicked. And so, um, I just like to spread that with, with the clients that I'm working with. So, uh, that's a big one, man, because I get a lot of complaints or a lot of occasions where people are really doing well. They're, they're super fit in many ways, but this visceral fat is coming on as the decades advance. So, uh, and I, I've, you know, had, had some, um, people express their pain points of, you know, they're, they're, they're dialed in with their diet. They got a devoted workout regimen, but they can't seem to get rid of that last five or 10 pounds of belly fat, which we know is so dangerous for the metabolic and disease patterns that are represented by that. So how do you get people to, to break through if they're a little bit stalled on that particular goal? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone starts at a different point. So I think it depends where that client is starting at. You know, if they're a pretty clean eater and let's, pr- let's say they have uh, three meals a day. And, you know, um, they're doing all the right things. And if they need that sort of next step, then I'd probably get them right into fasting. You know, if it was a client that snacked all day, uh, ate a lot of like refined carbs um, and like was in a totally different place than another person, I would maybe start at a different place in the sense that like, let's get you like let's get rid of snacking or, you know, let's just get you eating three whole meals a day and start there. And then once they get into the rhythm of that, okay, well maybe we can just push back uh, breakfast and, and then eventually maybe get them into two meals a day. So I, I think it just depends where that client is starting. And then from there, taking them to sort of that end point of getting them into, you know, where they're eating less meals and not snacking as much. And then, you know, so I think it takes time, but it depends on where that client's starting. And how do these conversations come about? Are you doing a combination of uh, one-on-one personal training in a fitness facility as well as uh, sitting down and conversing or engaging with text or email? What's the best pattern that you've found? Yeah, I mean, most of my training actually is done in small groups. But yes, as far as the health coaching and, and getting them let's say into intermittent fasting or just helping them clean up their, their eating lifestyle. Um, that's all done one-on-one. And a lot of times it can be done over the phone or through Skype. Um, but initially I like to meet, we will, we'll meet in person and I'll, I'll get an idea of what their current habits are and what, what we're looking to sort of change and and go from there. Now, are a lot of health coaches doing something similar where they'll, even go to the scene of the crime and look through the pantry cupboard or take them shopping or things to that extent? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great idea. And I think that it's like, goes back to the old rule. Like if you don't, if you don't buy it, you won't, you won't eat it. I think that's just like, it's, it's big key for me. Like when I go grocery shopping, I try to just 
get things that are going to expire quickly, you know, like whole foods and things not in boxes that'll last forever. I think that's like a good, just like baseline rule. So I think it is important at some point to go into the pantry or to go to their house uh, once you build some trust, right? And then uh, sort of figure out, you know, what are they, you know, what can they change and uh, what, what maybe they can replace with, you know, what they're currently buying. So building trust, describe that. Is it is it sometimes difficult out of the gate? I mean, someone's hiring you, so they're they're trusting you at a certain level, but then do you, you get some resistance coming up as you're trying to dig into their lives and, and mess with their bad habits or something? Yeah, I mean building trust. I mean, yeah, that for some people that, that can happen right away. Some other people it can take longer. I, I just think it depends. Um, but yeah, I mean you do want to build that trust because obviously you're you're you know you're going to be their their guide for however long a month three months six months and so I just think you know once they understand that you're just looking out for their own good and um and just trying to fit you know whatever you know their lifestyle is now and and just make it better um, we're all pushing for the same end result right um, if, if if you know it doesn't feel good on my end if you have clients and they're not getting results and that's why I. I, I like to research and find out different things that work and I'm always sort of searching around. And obviously when I came about fasting, that was a, that was a sort of a game changer. So it's a game changer in what way? How is it, how is it succeeding? Wow. Well, I mean, I think it, it can do a lot of good for a, on, on a lot of different levels. Right. Um, so, I think first and foremost with fasting is it, you know, fasting is a stressor on the body, right? And it can be a stressor on the mind, but I, I think it, it, and on the other hand, it, it, it can like put you into and give you freedom in a sense that you're, you're not relying on food and it's, it's sort of a secondary thing. I think, you know, just our culture in general, it's so tied around meals and when are we eating? What should we bring for a snack? And, Oh my God, what if I miss a meal? I, and honestly, like that was me. <laughs> so, you know, like, I don't know how you were, Brad, and I know you're into a lot of biohacking things. And, uh, but like, you know, I, I just think it can be an over-consuming thing, food in general. It's, first of all, big food and, and Starbucks and, the, you know, McDonald's, they're everywhere, right? So I think they're just in our face all the time. And so I think it can be liberating to say that, you know, I don't need this. Um, I don't need this. I don't need this at this time. And I can sort of, uh, live my life and yeah, I'm going to eat, but I'll eat on my own terms and not sort of be controlled. So, I mean, I mean, we can get into all the benefits of fasting, but I think first and foremost, it's almost like a freeing, uh, once you sort of get into it and realize that, you know, you're not, you don't, you're not going to be hung. You're not hungry all the time. If you skip a meal, you're not going to starve. Um, and these are things that you sort of gain with, with like just the absence of food. So what's the starting point if you're, you're suggesting to a client that they uh, dabble in fasting? How do you hold their hand and take them into the, the, uh, the experience? Well, and, and I mentioned it a little bit before, it depends where they're starting. But uh, if they just want to get into that, um, I think the best way to do that is to sort of find you know, what meal is most important to them. Um, so for most Americans, 
dinner time is a big social thing. You know, they eat with their families or they go out to eat, um, which is, I would say it's probably my like biggest meal. Um, so if that's the case, then what we'll do is we'll keep that meal and then sort of work around the other ones. And a lot of people like the journal, for example, pushes back breakfast an hour every day um, and teaches you how to just sort of ease into it until you're getting to where you're just, let's say, I know that like, uh, like a 16, eight fast, right? So, um, you're fasting for 16 hours and then you have like an eight hour window of eating. Um, that's sort of a, a very common way of doing it. And I would start with that, um, as sort of the blueprint. And then once, once they get the hang of that, then, you know, you can vary it and depending on, on their goals and if they've plateaued and things like that, you can adjust the window and, and just sort of go from there. What percentage of people can do that in a relatively short time? That's 16 and eight. Is that a, is that a tough one for the average person? Can they do it within a few weeks of, uh, adapting and cleaning up their diet? Well, I, I can't give you a percentage on it, but, <laughs> but I think it depends on, on, on how their lifestyle's been before that, right? So if, if they were a pretty clean eating person, they're into working out and, you know, an active individual, um, yes, I think they can do it tomorrow. Oops. I think they can do it tomorrow. So um, if this person was just has a history of not, not eating good and perhaps snacking all day, then it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, so I guess there, I don't have a percentage for you, but I would say that most people can do it. It's just sort of once they get over that fear, you know, we all, I, I know you're big in like the keto world and about sort of becoming fat adapted, right? Um, where you, where you start, eventually you, you get to the point where you can switch your fuel source for your body, um, into, you know, using fat as fuel as opposed to just, you know, relying on your food and glucose um, as fuel. So some people, it takes longer to get into that state. And then once someone is getting some momentum there for, let's say, a week of delaying that first meal until midday, uh, do they report feeling great right away? Or is it an, a challenge, an adjustment period where they have some complaints out of the gate? Yes, I, I would say for most people, there's an adjustment period. I mean, I can just remember when I first started doing it, I think I went and tried to play golf. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I think I, I was like getting into fasting. I was like, you know, I'll just go play. And, and I, you know, I had, I, this was probably mid-morning round. And I remember being on the course like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> how am I going to make it through this round? Um, you know, because I, I was used to having breakfast and eating right before I played. And it was a struggle. I, I think I eventually ended up eating something. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I was, yeah. So I think for everyone, there is an adjustment period for sure. Um, and um, yeah, it just takes time to get, to get used to that. But, but, you know, everyone eventually can get to that point. I think, you know, unless obviously people, I would just say this, if you're underweight or obviously pregnant and things like that, and, there's, there's certain people that shouldn't be fasting. I mean, fasting is a stressor on the body. Um, so if you are like, there's, there's also better times to do it and better times not to do it, right? I mean, if you're really stressed with work and, and have a lot of things going on, perhaps this is not the best time for you to start with fasting. Perhaps you should wait till things are settled down, you're in a good state mentally, and then you can get into it that way. I think that's, 
that's obviously a good rule to, to abide by. Right. We know that there's a lot of factors in hectic, high-stress modern life that promote sympathetic nervous system dominance, the fight or flight, versus mm-hmm. the parasympathetic rest and digest, and that's more associated with fat burning. And so if you're kind of in this uh, hectic, sugar-burning mode, you're going to be pushed in that direction with your metabolic function, even if you make some efforts to cut out foods and go go paleo, go keto, go primal, something like that. Uh, that includes like uh, adverse exercise habits where you're overtraining in these chronic patterns. And so in those examples, if you uh, restrict the calories through fasting or try to go keto and restrict your carbs, uh, likely what's going to happen is this uh, fight or flight stimulation where you're going to engage uh, gluconeogenesis. That's the breaking down of lean muscle tissue into glucose for quick energy. And that's a fundamental component of the fight or flight response. That's why when we're in a personal crisis for uh, you know weeks on end, it's an ill family member or a, a difficult relationship time, You know the person wakes up, they're a little shaky, they're not hungry, they're still not hungry hours later. It's because they're making their own sugar in this extreme stress mode. And I think at a certain extent, if you're not well adapted to uh, to fasting and skipping meals, uh, and you also have these other high stress factors in your life, you're going to defeat the purpose. You're not going to be in that fat burning mode, which is the intended uh, benefits of, of fasting and skipping meals. You hit it right on the head. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you see this? Uh, like, are there some uh, uh, people that aren't responding well? because of their high stress lifestyle patterns, you can see that the fasting simply not working. Yeah. I, you know, I try to emphasize that they started at, 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 at you know, let's just say this, there's never going to be a perfect time, right? It's like anything else. There's never a perfect time to perhaps start fasting. You just sort of have to ease your way into it. Um, you know, some people, you know, you hate to see people who wait to like something bad happens to that, their health. And then they and then they get into it, right? Like you rather be more proactive about it, and uh, and, and instead of waiting, to, you know, to you know something happens bad um, in, with your own health. But um, you know, I would say some some complaints people get as far as just like you know like headaches. Um, you know, some people do feel weak and without energy for a while. Um, eventually it'll go the other way around where you'll have more energy in a, in a fastest state. I try to do all like my, um, activities that require like me thinking most of my, t- you know, like whether it's like, you know, writing a blog or, or, or even doing a podcast, like I want to have, like, I want to be mentally alert. And, and when I'm in a fastest state, that's when I feel like I can really, really take advantage of that. So, um, but some people do, you know, have headaches, you know, especially if they're like, they're, they rely a ton on coffee, not to say that you can't, you know, and I, I don't, I, I don't mind having a black coffee here and there while you're in a fasted state. I think that's fine per se, but like some people really rely on coffee all the time. And if, if you cut that out a little bit, you know, they'll get headaches or, but if they're, if they're always relying on glucose from food, um, yeah, there's going to be an adjustment period there, um, because they're just used to eating all the time. So the coffee's okay during a uh, a stated fasting period. Anything else? Uh, do people uh, in, put the high fat calories in the coffee and count that count that as something different, or is that a different strategy for someone who's maybe 
needing those calories or a little more sensitive to complete calorie restriction? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if adding a little butter or MCT oil to your coffee is going to help you with fasting, I, I, I know there's calories in it, so technically you, like, you, you do break your fast per se, but um, I always start, I would say start with like a black coffee. I mean, there's probably five calories in a black coffee, um, and tea is great as well. So I would say for the most part, those are, those are good compounds to, you know, to drink while, while, you know, while you're going through a fast. And obviously water with some sea salt is great too, you know, for electrolytes. Um, I would say those are the three big ones to go with. Um, but if you want to add some butter, obviously there's calories in that, but you know, if it's going to help you get through the fasting period and sort of get through those hunger, cause you're going to, you're going to have hunger. You're going to have the, the hunger comes in waves. If you just sort of ride it out, you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be fine. I think, I think, and I was in the same boat where you feel that hunger coming on. You're like, Oh, I got to grab something. Um, and so I think a lot of people are just so, um, programmed to do that, that if they just ride it out a little bit, eventually you'll just get used to it. Well, especially if you're trying to drop excess body fat, I think the spiking of the hunger hormones indicates that um, you're going to quickly transition into accelerated fat burning if you don't feed yourself. And it could be considered an advanced strategy because most people are going to give in to hunger because it's unpleasant. You get the, the, the growling in your stomach from the prominent hunger hormone ghrelin. And, um, mm -hmm. that there's a reason that, um, that then we start thinking more and more about food. There's a reason for that. It's sort of a survival instinct, right? But, um, apparently if you, if you do ignore it and write it out for a certain period of time, that's when you get the, the major fat burning benefits. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I know there's some studies showing like, you know, ghrelin, ghrelin, if I'm saying that correctly, that hormone, the hunger hormone that it, it'll spike at certain times during the day, but it's ironically, those are the days, those, those are the times where you're used to eating. So it's almost like it, it's just timed out based on, on when you're used to eating. Um, so if you, another sort of strategy I like to use too, is like mixing it up. Like I've been fasting for a long time now. And I know Brad, you mentioned to me, you want to do a longer fast, uh, an extended fast. But um, for me, I, I've done a few extended fasts, but sometimes what I'll do is if I'm, if I do 16, eight for a while, I like to mix it up and maybe do, you know, 24, uh, meaning like 20 hour fasting period. And then you have a four hour eating window or 22, two, just to keep like, keep your body, like, uh, just guessing a little bit. Right. And so you're not, again, just programmed by the clock and you're in control of your food as opposed to your clock and your body clock being in control of, you know, when you're going to eat. So I think it's a good strategy too, to mix it up. Once you get into the fasting mode, um, I like doing that. Yeah. I mean, we have tons of science, uh, hair splitting the details of should a 72 hour fast be the benchmark? And is that when the autophagy yeah. really kicks in? Do you need to go past this point or that point? But I also speculate that, uh, for real people like your clients, d busy working professionals who aren't living and breathing this stuff all day long, there's probably these profound psychological benefits, which could be, uh, higher caliber than, than anything else. In other words, getting, getting that sense of control where they're not 
uh, owned by you mentioned it before freaking Starbucks and McDonald's two two sponsors we just lost for for trashing them but you know they're calling at us and beckoning us to come uh, eat their crap all day long and in in some respects uh, because someone in a high sugar eating pattern is an addict to more sugar, uh, you know, on, on a biochemical level, um, they, they do own your ass down the street at Starbucks if you, uh, if you haven't done the hard work to, to keep walking when you look at the, the pictures on the door. So I think that's, that's got to be a huge one. And whatever works, like you said, you want to drop some fat in there and still, um, still uh, work toward uh, delaying your first meal probably all those things are a big thumbs up. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about autophagy, you know, like cell cleansing. I mean, that, that's a big one. Um, and, and like you said, I think, I think this, there's, that's something that's still being researched and looked upon as far as, far as how long um, to fast to get into, you know, to get some like autophagy benefits, right, with the cell cleansing. But I think even a little bit can help. And uh, I don't think it's a black or white thing with autophagy. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, that's a huge benefit to fasting. Uh, I think it was Dr. Tommy Wood mentioned to me, uh, during one of our shows on get over yourself podcast that even a hard workout where you're, you know, depleting your cellular energy, that is the kickstart for uh, mitochondrial biogenesis and autophagy. So there's so many ways to get at it. I'm wondering about the pairing of, uh, a, a devoted workout with a fasting period and how you, um, how you deal with that often controversial issue where people are saying, well, you need your refeed after, or you, you need some carbs before to perform. And, um, how is that shaken out for you? Yeah. I mean, this is a topic that I think a lot of different people have differing opinions on. I, I, I enjoy working out in a fasted state and I don't think it inhibits my performance, but I think it also depends on the type of training you're doing as well. Um, some people who are going for hours and hours and hours might, might, you know, might need to have a little bit of something before they, they get into the workout or during or during the workout. I know amino acids would be a great place to start. And a lot, a lot of, a lot of big health names are big proponents of, of, of taking amino acids, you know, either right before or during a workout. Um, but, um, you know, as far as like, um, refeeding after you work out, I, I actually try to, um, with my workouts, time them in, in the fact that like, then I'll break my fast. So I think a, 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 a good way to go about it is, is, um, if you could work, do your workout and, and knowing that right when you're done with your workout, that's when you, you're going to break your fast. I think it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, I don't know. I, I like doing it that way. It doesn't, I don't, it doesn't always work out that way, but a lot of times you're, that's a great time because your body is is um is looking for that you know that those refeeds right after you work out just to help um you know feed muscle and 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 get you going so yeah I mean, what, what about you is that something you try to do brad well i think in the past we were told this uh paradigm of you know operating the working muscles on uh using using glucose stored glycogen was the the fuel for the for the athlete 
and mm. then of course uh, needing to immediately restock afterward so that you could recover from the workout and that's all validated by decades of exercise physiology but what's really been amazing is uh, the recent breakthroughs in the research uh, the the prominent often cited faster study being one of them uh, showing that you don't necessarily need to obsessively restock glycogen after a workout in order to recover and in order to restock glycogen through other means, such as the byproduct of uh, fat metabolism. Uh, so it's kind of a mind-blowing insight. Finney and Volick, the leaders in the uh, keto space for many years, have been talking about this uh, for a long time. Uh, but it gets a little tricky, especially the more devoted of an athlete that you are, I think, because um, it could be sort of a either or approach where you're either highly fat adapted, you're really good at making ketones, you're good at performing uh, on, on fat as your primary fuel, you can work out in a fasted state, you can fast for hours afterward. Guys like Mark Sisson, Art Devaney talks about a four hour fasting period after a strenuous workout to optimize those adaptive hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, and it all makes sense and sounds really good. But if you're not really good yourself at burning fat and making ketones, you may be compromising your recovery when you go home after that uh, big big session in the gym and don't restock. So, you know, I've been personally experimenting with this and I don't have a big definitive answer to slam mm -hmm. out there because it's so nuanced. And uh, one of the things that's come up to me recently that I'm kind of focusing on is where my appetite uh, comes into play with this question. So you asked me, you know, you asked me a question. I'm like, you know what? I often let my appetite guide me. And if I can um, put in some fasting period after the workout session, I know that the testosterone is going to circulate in the bloodstream longer, the testosterone that spikes from the workout. Uh, but I don't want to feel like crap two days later. And I've been that guy before where I was in strict ketogenic pattern and then going out and doing my awesome sprint workout and feeling fine during the sprint workout. But then 36 to 48 hours later, I'm going, wow, I feel like crap again, just like I have at the last three sprint workouts. And I feel like, like you described early on, don't forget that fasting is a stressor to the body just as a sprint workout is. And just as doing a sprint workout when you're 50 years old is. So mm -hmm. you're adding on, you're stacking up this, um, these stress uh, factors that might be alleviated a little bit if you went home and slammed a sweet potato in a smoothie. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you bring up a great point in the sense that like, really you're listening to your body, right? Like I think that's so important that everyone's going to have their different opinion on all these different sort of nuances regarding eating and refeeding and fasting and even the type of food that you, that you're going to eat, right? Like this is a big one with, I know carnivore and, uh, keto and paleo. Um, but that's the one thing I will say I like about fasting is just the simplicity of it. And it's, uh, it's just black and white, you know, and it's not complicated because I think when things get complicated, and I've said this before, that people just don't take action. And mm. so even, even if you're not eating the, the best and, 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 you know, and maybe it's not following a certain guideline, um, I think if you can just shrink your eating window, and just focus on that, um, I think you're going to see some results for sure. And it's going to make a difference in your life. And, um, and that's a good starting point. 
Yeah, that's why I like talking to folks like you who are out there on the street dealing with real people. I mean, you can have one health expert talking to another, having a panel of five of them, and it's all you know highly validated and, and, and highly respected information. But if there's no touch point to the street and the person walking by Starbucks who's you know compelled to go in there, then we have a little bit of a challenge. So that simplicity factor... And especially today, I think, Brian, when we're looking at this, this propaganda that's being dispensed left and right, uh, a, a documentary making these cases, and then another documentary slamming all the cases mm-hmm. that were made in the previous one, um, if we can kind of have this starting point where fasting is the foundational element of your dietary strategy, and then the right. meals are kind of slotted in. Uh, around the the base period of uh, the baseline of fasting that kind of changes the conversation from constant obsession with uh, uh, the macronutrient profiles or which foods you're choosing or which camp you're going to join, whether it's a a, a restrictive diet and how long you're going to do it for and all those kind of things that people are getting caught up in. No, I agree. I mean, I'll, I'll just say like three simple tips that I start people with are let's just cut out snacking Mm. you know right there let's just cut out snacking um let's pick a time that we're going to stop eating at night um and and it's got to be at least a few hours before you go to bed Uh, i just think that's so important for digestion and letting you know like your digest digestive organs rest before bed and helping you get a better night's sleep and a third one and and this was something that I didn't do as much, but now that I have a dog, uh, I do all the time is going for a walk (laughs) and even just like a 10 minute walk after you eat, uh, is great for blood sugar regulation and is so simple. And these are just like simple little hacks, but like, I just think for the everyday individual, they can make a profound impact if you just can do them day in, day out on a consistent basis. And, you know, not once a week, but eventually doing it every day. Um, it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, first and foremost, you know, the dog issue is huge. I mean, it's the greatest motivator in history. I look at my dog's face when, you know, at the slight chance of going out for a short walk or a short run, the dog's life is hanging in the balance. Like this could be, this could be the greatest thing of the whole day. Like, how can you say no to that? And as a dog owner, like making that commitment, when you take the animal home, it's like this animal deserves to be outside just like the human animal. So I love that connection. That's, that's fantastic. And oh my gosh, from there, um, you know, little little steps forward that aren't aren't stressful and aren't disruptive to your daily patterns but then they start getting integrated into habit that's huge there's some research that we cited in uh, the book keto for life that if you do so much as take a 15 minute walk after a meal at one mile per hour ridiculously slow pace uh, you mute the insulin response by 50 percent Mm, yeah. Uh, not to mention, I keep you know, hearing that walk. again and again. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, uh, you know, that, that's like the difference between um, a long, healthy lifespan and the disease patterns is managing that insulin response. No doubt about it. I mean, I think that's where a lot of, uh, you know, I, I know Dr. Jason Fung is where I've read a bunch of his stuff is, you know, he, he's obviously um, big into fasting and does it for a lot of different types of individuals. And it's all, you know, all about controlling that insulin. Um, and yeah, 
I, I, like I said, I think if you can keep it to simple things, it, it'll, it, you'll, you'll take action. Right. And that's what it's all about. Like that's probably, that's why I did the cha- why I came up with this, you know, the 21 day fasting challenges, because I can talk to I'm blue in the face um, and tell people and give them all this content and information. And nowadays you can get information on any, any second of the day on any podcast or just Google it. But like, I, I feel like we're so um, inundated with all this information that people are actually taking less action. And so, how, <laughs> right? They, they don't need to take action. They just consume more information and they're good. Yeah, right? Like They're dialed. We're, right. We're so good at consuming information and, 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 and less about taking action. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do the challenge. I, I put a... On my desk, I have a little tab that says one thing at a time, uh, just to remind me, because I, I think it's easy to get caught up and try to do a bunch of things at once. And I, I sort of stress the same thing with my clients or uh, anyone looking to get in, in, into shape or get healthier. It's just take one simple thing at a time. Once you get that as a habit, you know, then, then move on to the next and just sort of progress. So what's the challenge about how do people put this stuff into action and where do they find out about it too? Yeah. And maybe I, I can send you the link in, for the show notes, but it's a 21 day fasting challenge. It's launching literally like as we speak, but like the, pretty much what it is, is you get 21 day email, you get 21 emails, get an email every day, just, you know, giving you a tip, uh, answering some, you know, just basic questions and just getting you going, similar to like the journal. You also do get the journal with it. So you get the, a PDF file of the journal. So you can sort of follow along both through your getting these daily emails and then going and printing out. You can print out the journal and fill it out if that's something that sort of will help you uh, stay accountable. And so, again, yeah, the, the, the challenge is not to, not, not to be something that's feared, but something to help you sort of overcome a challenge. Because I think when you hear fasting, it just people just cringe. And I'm just trying to make it simple and easy for people. So, that, you know, that's, you know, that's why I sort of created that. And so, yeah, you just sort of get, um, get walked through the process of, of, of just making it a lifestyle change. I think that's like most important with anything that you do, right? Like we keep hearing all these diets and people, you know, but diets are something that you get on and off. And, mm. you know, if you, if you can really, you know, lifestyle is something that, you know, you want to do for the rest of your life. And like, if, if someone told me when I started doing fasting that I'd be continued doing it, what, three, four years later, I'd probably think they were crazy, right? But once I started doing it and it just, be, it, you know, it just becomes, you, you, you start to feel so much, you start to feel better, right? Like, and it's like the same thing when you're eating really healthy, last thing you want to do is go back to like an old way of eating because it just takes you to a place where you just don't feel as good. Um, and that's not to say that you can't splurge. I'm not saying that, but, but you can splurge as long as you know you're going to get back on that, on that good wagon. And, and, uh, um, yeah. So once you start implementing healthy habits, uh, it's really tough to go back the other way. I don't know how it is for you, Brad. Yeah. That's an amazing statement because our sensitivity level is so much higher now that we're living a clean life and eating clean foods. And it's, it's absolutely mind blowing to think, um, you know, where I've come in my own life from being a kid growing up and being an athlete and a, and a runner burning all those calories and eating so much crap and throughout the duration of my uh, triathlon career too, just inhaling these gels and these bars and these uh, powdered drinks that just 
you know, slamming your body with so many carbohydrates and you don't, you don't realize it at the time because you become uh, habituated to, you know, bad habits too. But I think mm-hmm. that's the, the great insight that uh, if, if listeners, you know, pondering, making a change, like getting into fasting, you know, once you break through to the other side and that becomes your norm, oh my gosh, that's the, you know, that's, that's the real beauty of it is, you know, knowing what, it, knowing what it's like to sleep well and, and be able to concentrate and, uh, you know, keep, the, keep your weight uh, managed instead of having to be out of your control and being a constant source of pain and suffering. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, um, I also think too, like, I don't have kids myself, but like, um, and I'm not promoting fasting for kids. I don't think kids need to, I think, you know, but just promoting that healthy lifestyle. Um, and even just like, you know, when you go for walks, you bring other people, right? So like, um, you know, that, that's sort of why, you know, it's like, if you, if you surround yourself with healthy people, you'll like sort of gravitate towards that. And so I think it's important to surround yourself with people who, um, who are in that same, in that same boat and, uh, want to be healthy and want to, want to feel good for themselves and, and are positive people too. Right. So it's like, it all goes hand in hand. Um, but yeah, it can spread. Right. All right. Love it, Brian. Way to, way to finish up the show on a positive (laughs) note. How do we get involved with the, uh, the fasting challenge? Where do we find more? Um, well, it, 21dayfastingchallenge.com is the best place. Actually, it's, it'll be launching soon, and I'm sure you can put it in your show notes and this and that. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, briangrin.com. And um, uh, if, they, if people want to reach out to me, there's my information is, you know, they can reach out to me there. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Brad. I, I, I enjoyed it. Great show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, listeners. Have a great day. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. No dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit PrimalHealthCoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit PrimalHealthCoach.com today to learn more.